Amen. I'll never forget having the opportunity to do many years ago, 10 years ago to be exact, 10 years ago, we were in La Jolla, California, San Diego area, beautiful place. You can rent kayaks and you can kayak along the shoreline. Some million dollar homes along that stretch and the waves have eroded up to some of those properties and the tour guide <clears throat> told us, said it's just a matter of time <laughs> until they fall into the ocean. He said, if you look, some of them have already been abandoned because there's not enough rock. It's shifting sand and erosion. It's not gonna last million dollar homes, amen. I want my life not to be shifting sand, but I want my life to be a rock that is strong and that is sure. A lot of winds are going to come. A lot of turmoil is going to come. Uh, but you can stand sure upon the word of God and know that it is an anchor to the soul. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn to Luke chapter number 24 and verse number 45. Luke chapter 24, verse number 45. Amen. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Is there any microphones back there in the sound booth? No? All right. My title here is, I don't know. I gave it to Brother Caden, and I've already forgotten. It's something like the gospel semicolon the reason why the new birth is necessary the reason why the new birth experience is important there's a difference there's a big difference between the gospel and the new birth experience and that's one of the things many times we take people right to the new birth experience, but the gospel precedes that. If you don't understand the gospel, you're gonna have no understanding of why you need a new birth experience. So there's a big difference. And tonight we're going to focus on that. What is the gospel? Lord, we thank you, praise you. We ask that you would direct us, guide us in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, can be seated. Thank you for standing. We are in the middle of doctrinal elements that are important. We've talked about the importance of the word. We've talked about that in the beginning here, how, how the scripture is important to us. Last week, we talked about the oneness of God, and we, we, there's a lot there. <laughs> there's a lot there. Uh, and tonight, we are talking about the gospel and the importance of the gospel. And the gospel is the why to the new birth experience. Think about that. If you're taking notes, make a notation of that. If you're talking to somebody and, and you are witnessing to them 
you need to explain the gospel to them before you take them right to the new birth experience. And we promote a new birth experience here at GBFPC. We think it's very, very important. But lest we get ahead of ourselves sometime, it's important to understand exactly what the gospel is. And so that's our task here tonight, and that's our duty. Amen. Have you ever received something you didn't deserve, and then how did that make you feel? How did that make you feel? And when you consider the cost of Calvary, it can be difficult to accept God's grace, the price that was paid, the exorbitant price that was paid is the cost of Calvary. And when I recognize that, I stand in awe of the fact that he paid the price and he gave to us an opportunity uh, to experience and to accept that. The gospel is more than just a once a year Messiah presentation. It is the hope that gives us a reason for existence. Why do you exist here in this place tonight? Because of the gospel. Amen. That needs to be something that is emphatic in your life. I don't, I'm not here and exist because I have a job or I'm not here and exist because I'm going to school and in a career. Amen. All of that is secondary to this. The priority in my life is I exist because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I have accepted that, and that frames and forms everything in my life. Everything in the Bible leads up to the gospel. After 33 years of time on earth, Jesus is beaten and crucified, and then something very extraordinary happens. And that is found in Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 62. Something very extraordinary happens takes place. Everybody okay here tonight? You have your Bibles in front of you? All right, okay, okay. What is it that is extraordinary that takes place? Matthew 27 and verse 62, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate saying, we remember that this deceiver said while he was alive, after three days I will rise again. Command therefore that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last heir shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Basically, they were saying, We don't want the disciples doing some deception here, coming at night, taking his body away and then pronouncing that he is alive. It needs to be secure. There needs to be a watch. That means there needs to be some soldiers there that are guarding it. Verse number uh, two of chapter 28, there was a great earthquake and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And so the extraordinary thing that happened is Jesus was no longer in a tomb, but he was alive with resurrection power. Amen. All that transpired and went with that, the watch and the soldiers that were there, there was an earthquake, there was a shakening. His countenance, the angel that came was like 
lightning, and the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Jesus appears unto the disciples, and he says to them, peace. And then he gives to them our opening text, and he talked about the gospel. It behooved Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. He arose, he appears, he provides strength and power. And the obstacle that was standing in the way of all the disciples, the two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, walking away from Jerusalem, the disciples themselves huddled in a room, fearful, the obstacle that wiped out everything out of their minds was death. Everyone say death. It was death. Death is inevitable and death is a curse. Human beings, we are mortal. We are mortal. We must face death. However, much as we may try to domesticate or normalize or even anticipated. When death comes to us or ones that are close to us, we see the truth. And the truth is, it isn't supposed to be here. It's the result of sin interrupting the original plan for paradise. It's inevitable. It is a curse. And no matter how we might try to pretty up, put platitudes on it, think positively about it. It's inevitable, but when its hands or its influence touches us, we recognize that something is wrong. Something has been interrupted. Sin has caused something that produces something called death. The disciples had a hard time. It was an obstacle in their mind. Because they could, they, they could listen to Jesus. They could see him perform the miracles. They, they could understand all of that. But what they couldn't understand and what discouraged them was the fact that Jesus died on the cross. It scattered them. It caused apprehension and anxiety and fear. But thank God he's not in a tomb. And thank God he appeared to them and shows to them that death has no control or power over me. Something new has happened. Something different has happened. Before, death conquers. Before, death reigns. But Jesus steps on the scene and says there is something different that's taking place. Amen. Amen. Why did death enter the world? Well, let's look at a passage of Scripture. All of us in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12. Romans chapter 5. And verse number 12. Are you there? Amen. Wherefore, as by one man... Sin entered into the world, and what? Death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. 
According to this passage of scripture, why did death enter the world? It entered the world by one man's sin. Who is the man that brought sin and death into the world? Well, according to the passages of scripture that are close to this one, it is Adam that brings sin and death into the world. Death has an impressive record. It has laid out the best. It has taken down the brightest and the strongest. Propelled by the miracle of life and birth, the young shoot out of the gates of life like a rocket past the strong force of death. When you are young, feels like nothing can stop you. When you're 50, feels like everything's trying to stop you. <laughs> uh, praise God. And I'm a young whippersnapper, according to some of you that are older. But when you're young and, and vitality is there and you're born and there is life, you shoot right by like a rocket death and you kind of laugh and maybe even sneer as you make your way by. But death is interesting. Death is one that doesn't bother to compete with the young unless tragedy strikes. We live in a fallen world. Nobody has, nobody has an anchor. James says life is but a vapor. But for the most part, generally, death doesn't mess with young, takes its time, and then death circles the earth and meets the man or the woman coming the other way. When you're young and full of vitality, it seems like there's, there's nothing that can stop you. You have strength and you have ability, but death meets you at some point coming the other way. It's taken down the best. History's evidence of humanity has thrown everything but the kitchen sink at trying its best to stop death. That is an idiom, throwing everything but the kitchen sink which I guess means you, you throw everything, but the only thing that is left is the kitchen sink, and so you don't throw that. So you throw everything but the kitchen sink. History has thrown everything but the kitchen sink at death. And all we have been able to do is to delay the inevitable. And I'm thankful for all the efforts. I'm, I'm standing before you here tonight because of that. 2010, uh, I've had, I don't know, three, three types of cancer. And because of everybody throwing everything but the kitchen sink to try to stop death or delay death, the treatments have, have increased. And, and some of you here have gone through those same treatments. Those treatments now are much, much better treatments than if you go back decades before. And so science and technology and doctors and learning, and all of that is, is, is trying to stop the approach of death, and that's a good thing. Ten years past all of that, praise God. I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm very, very thankful for that. But this one thing I know, this one thing I know, death, death is still inevitable. So no matter what doctors do and, and researchers do and the medical field does, they can do some amazing things. But at its very best, 
It's delaying the inevitable. And we create all these coping mechanisms to try to solve how that, how that affects us. And so we'll say stuff like, it is, uh, it's, part of, it's part of life. Death is just part of life. It's just part of life. That makes us all feel good. It's just part of life. And, and we even have things that, that are sung by kids. The circle of life, the Lion King. Disney even tries to get in this to talk about how we can think positive about this. But when death actually occurs, all those platitudes and all those things are shattered very, very quickly. Death is still here, and it shouldn't be here. And there is no amount of rationalizing it away. It is there. It's going to confront us. It's inevitable. And the ministers of death are sickness and disease and disaster and decay. And all of these things are, are not because of a God choice. They're because of a not God choice. Adam made a not God choice. And the inevitability of what happened in that sin was death came into the picture. It was a not God choice, not a God choice. And that has followed us around generation after generation. We're still doing the same thing. Some of our decisions have consequences. And if it's a not God choice, there is death and decay that transpires with that. But if there is a God choice... I'm hoping somehow that there's a different outcome than a not God choice. A not God choice cast them out of the garden, caused major, major ramifications to the world around them. The sweat of their brow, the ground was cursed. Relationships became cursed. It was a not God choice and there were consequences. But if you make the right decision to serve God, there are things that happen in your life and transpire in your life that is much much better than the decisions over here on this side of the balance i want to say tonight that we should make god choices hallelujah i want god to work in my life i don't want decay disease pestilence destruction i want freedom and liberty and hope amen the ministers of death are not god choice it's it's useless to protest that most people are good and hardly responsible for choosing a world of suffering. This is the trajectory of not God unless somehow divine intervention takes place. A not God choice is leading down a road of sin and death unless there's divine intervention that takes place. Did God divinely intervene in your life? Praise God. Did God divinely intervene in your life? Sister Gloria Reese, you got a big smile on your face. God stepped, God stepped in at the right moment and said, the direction you're going is a not God thing. But somehow, 36 to no, in an apostolic church, hallelujah, there's a testimony that there was a divine intervention that broke into my world and changed everything. Amen. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 11, this is how Paul describes it. He said, there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. 
Amen. There's, there's nothing in their understanding. There is none that is seeking after God. Psalm 14 and verse number 1, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Ladies and gentlemen, the description of humanity is not a good portrait. It's not a good picture because our carnality is one that is like these scriptures are describing. Somewhere, somehow, there has to be a divine intervention that takes us out of what we try to do on our own and usually it's a miserable failure. Our carnal nature you don't have to do anything it just it, it does evil and makes its decision on its own somewhere there has to be one that saves us from our own predicament i'm not good on my own i recognize from the moment that i was born that there was evil within me i need a savior i need somebody to reach down and help me out i can't do it on my own it doesn't matter who i join up and link up with it's not going to be good enough because i've got sin in my life a carnal nature and there has to be a savior that pulls me out, that intervenes in my life. These scriptures talk about all being, all together becoming filthy. There's a need for a savior. We human beings are all equally in need. Everyone say equally. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you need a savior. You need, this, you, you, you need somebody to save you from yourself. History and experience teach that there are no exceptions to this need. All of us sin and seek our selfish interests, pushing God away, though we need him desperately. I have one verse that we need to read here together. It's a short one, but it's a powerful one. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. Praise God. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned. How many have sinned? Is there anybody that walked in here and you think that you are without sin and reproach? If, if you're here tonight, raise your hand. Okay. Raise your hand. Mary Ann, you are not without sin and reproach. <laughs> we are all. Everyone say all. All we are all we are all we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God praise God are human beings basically good given the right tools and knowledge and environment yes or no are human beings basically good given the right tools and knowledge and environment is that a true statement no it's not a true statement who sins, according to this passage of Scripture? All have sinned. All it takes for a good man to do bad things is for the right circumstance to arise. 
Abraham Joshua Heskel, a Holocaust survivor, was asked many times after Germany's defeat in World War II, that causes usually a lot of questions that's connected to evil. How could this happen? How could a just and loving God allow the massacre of seven million people in the world? And so this particular individual, Abraham Heskel, was a Holocaust survivor. And this was the question that was asked to him many times. Where was God when your people were being starved to death and incinerated in human ovens? His answer should give pause to any positive appraisal of human nature unaided by God's grace. His answer was this. The question is not where was God during the Holocaust. The question is, where is man? Where is man? It's not about, it wasn't about God. It was about the inhumaneness of humanity to do something like that. Many times God becomes the scapegoat, but the fact is, People left on their own, even if they're good individuals, had the capacity to do very evil things. How many times have, have the news reports or things like that, somebody will do something that is extraordinary, heinous, and the neighbors will all say what? He was, they were a great people. I never imagined, never even thought that anything like that could ever happen. People don't act evil all the time. Given the right circumstances, the right environment, the right trigger, everybody left to their own devices has a price at which they will either commit evil or allow evil to happen. Why? Because it is a human nature. Well, we gotta fix the problem. We've got to solve this, and you see this a lot of times in politics. We got to do this, and we a lot of times uh, what happens is we just we've got to throw throw money at it, thinking that that's going to solve the problem. Throwing money at something, trying to fix the environment, trying to do this, trying to do that, is is not going to fix. That is a futile game. And this is a difference between politics and the house of God. Politics and faith. Faith says. You are never going to fix the problem by trying to throw money at it, legislation, bureaucracy, and everything else because it is a carnal nature problem. It is a heart problem. Throw as much money as you want at it. It's not going to fix the fact that I am a sinner. The only thing that's going to fix the fact that I am a sinner is a move of God and intervention in my life that changes my heart. We got to do this. We got to raise more taxes. We got to make more programs. We got to reach out and do this. And you can reach out and do all of that, and that's fine. But it's, if a person is still going to be in their unregenerate state, there is not going to be a change. But if they become a new creature in Christ, and Jesus works on them and changes them, it changes their outlook. There's an enlightenment that comes. If, if, if all the money thrown at you was the solution then we would see the eradication 
of evil and sin in very wealthy nations. It doesn't happen that way. As a matter of fact, one of the, mo one of the craziest cesspools that you will ever find is about an hour and 45 minutes south of us with people who are very, very wealthy and also very, very sinful. There's an issue. Crime occurs in wealthy nations. The issue is we have a carnal nature. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 9. This is one of the greatest questions that is in the entire Bible. The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Where are you? Where are you? This obviously is asked because he has, he's made a decision and a choice and now they're there's a chasm between God and Adam that wasn't there before because of his sinful actions. And so now it creates an insecurity. And God is asking him, where are you? Where, where are you in your spiritual state? Where are you in your walk with God? Amen. Many times we put God at the end of the line while we try everything else. We try everything else, and when everything else doesn't work, God is at the end of the line before we make a God decision, a for God decision. We, we try everything. We try coping mechanisms. We, we, we throw everything but the kitchen sink at our difficulty, and God is at the end of the, uh, of the line. But yet, at the same time, the power of the gospel is this. God is willing to wait at the end of the line, even if that defies all logic. That's not logical to me. Why would you wait at the end of the line and let everything else and everybody else, and are they even worth it? Are they worth it running, doing things that, 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 that all of us should recognize. We should not even be here in the house of God. Why would you wait? Why would you wait at the end of the line? The gospel is a hope and a power. God is ferocious in that regard that you can try everything that you want to try, but I'll still be waiting here. And if you get to that point and I can reach out and intervene in your half, I can save you. Praise God. I can make you a child of God. I can bring you into the kingdom of God. Anybody have a testimony here tonight that you tried a lot of things. You, you reached out for a lot of different answers and you couldn't find them. But waiting at the end of the line was a God that still loved you. Was a God that still had mercy on you. Was a God that extended grace to you to pick you out from where you were. Amen. And give you an opportunity to experience his love and strength. That, that, that defies logic. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> we walk away, some, we're like Adam. God comes and says, where are you? We're a long ways away. We've forgotten God is mercy. We, we've veered off. We've missed the mark. And don't sit there too smug in your pew. All of us have missed the mark. We've all veered off. We've all gone a direction and then realized, wait a minute, what am I doing over here? I'm trying stuff that has nothing to do with God before we, we get back and center ourselves. All of us, all of us, every single one of us have veered from the mark but thank God God's still there to say if you veered off get back on track if you fell down get back up and move forward that defies logic 
That doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense to me. God would die for me. Put yourself in the same shoes. This is one of the reasons why when we come to the house of God, we should throw our hands in the air and lift our voice and magnify God and fill this sanctuary with praise that is resounding every single service. Why? Because God died for you? Really? Does that make any logical sense? Do you think you're so good that God would die for you? No. Every single one of us in this building recognize the price that was paid for me. Was it really, really worth it to God. Amen. From my perspective, I would say no, but God keeps reaching. God keeps responding. That's the gospel. That's the good news. He'll wait. He'll wait. He'll wait. And he'll come through for you at the right time. Amen. The audacity of God's plan. There is no logical reason that drove Jesus Christ to the cross. Yet in the face of our sin, he showed us grace and submitted to death, destroying the curse and penalty of sin. The crucifixion showed the depravity of our human nature. And yet Jesus' sacrifice showed the grace of God. Amen. The audacity of God's plan. A scripture we need to read together is Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 through 21. The audacity of God's plan. No logical reason. Yet in the face of our sin, he shows us grace and submits to death. Amen. Are you there? Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through the righteousness unto eternal life, by Jesus Christ our Lord. What abounded more than our sin? According to verse 20, grace did much more abound. Why can we have eternal life? According to verse 21, because of Jesus Christ, it is through him that there is eternal life. Our help must come from outside of ourselves. Our help must come from outside of ourselves. God becomes human in Jesus. Last week we talked about the oneness of God and we read a passage of scripture from Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 1. I think in the King James it calls it him the express image of his person. 
And I was reading this morning in Hebrews for my Bible reading in the ESV, which is the English Standard Version. And this is how the English Standard Version says it. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. Verse 3, here's, here's what stood out to me. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. God became human in flesh. He is the exact imprint of his nature. Wherever Jesus went, the work of death, 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 remember, death is final. Death is inevitable. Death is a curse death is something that when it happens it doesn't matter it doesn't matter in what shape or form when it happens there is this this slimy feeling that it should not be it's not right it shouldn't be it shouldn't take place sin brings death there was an interruption in what was supposed to be and now we're left with the consequences of what is. And death seems to be so final. But wherever Jesus went, wherever he went, he was undoing the work of death. Like an invading king coming into a land. He picks up one fisherman, a beggar, he, he, a prostitute, a tax collector. The ministers of death all of a sudden are put on hold. Death, disease, pestilence, and decay. Jesus has the ability to put them on hold. Sickness is reversed when he brings healing. Those who are diseased, he makes them completely whole. As a matter of fact, in one particular case, he stands at a tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out with grave clothes on. There is something that is happening. Death is being undone. Wherever Jesus is walking, there's a reversal of what has been inevitable. And Jesus is constantly testifying of his power and his ability to change the course of nature. He's put death on notice. A greater power has come. But the healings were superficial victories intended to get attention. What if, I, 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 and, and this is a very poignant point, the healings of Jesus were a sign of a greater power coming called the kingdom of God. So we still believe in healing. We believe God is able. We pray for it and thank God he still does heal. But in his initial coming, the healings are they're in some ways superficial signs that say, hey, wake up, see that there is something different taking place here. Death is being put on notice because there's something greater that's fixing to happen. Jesus could have come and he could have healed everybody. He could have fed everybody. And that's what they wanted, right? Because in one particular case, they tried to force him to do that very thing. That would have been what the Jewish people were looking for, a Messiah to come riding in and rule with the rod of iron and show his power and bring provisions and all of these things. Jesus comes and he provides healing 
but it is to get the attention because there is a greater power behind the healing. There's a greater power behind feeding the 5,000. The real problem that Jesus was coming to fix was an inside problem of the heart. And in order to fix it, he would have to undo it from the inside out. How are you going to do that when you've got a human relation problem? Going to have to get into the inside and fix it from the inside out, not from the outside in. So the outside miracles are to explain and show that there is something that is powerful that is going to take place. Amen. This is why we say we pray and we want God to heal. But there is something greater than just a, a physical miracle. And what is greater than that is a miracle. It is an absolute miracle. And that is the fact that you are saved, that God brings salvation to you. This is one of the reasons why when the man is lowered into the room that is paralyzed, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. They look at him as if he has lost his mind because he shouldn't have the ability to do that. He is giving the man an opportunity for salvation and in doing so is revealing his power. I can heal your body and that's good and that's great, but I can do something greater than healing your body. I can save your soul. I can bring salvation to you. It's within my power and it's within my ability. If anybody's thankful tonight that you are saved, sanctified, justified. God has called you, established you, and saved you. You should be thankful in the house of God tonight. That is some very, very good news. I'll even go this far. If he doesn't heal me, please save me because I could be healed and unsaved, and I would rather be saved There's a human relation problem, and Jesus was going to have to do <laughs> an audacious thing. The human relation problem is this. It revolves around power. All of human relations in all of history revolve around power. The strong rule the weak unless the weak can band together, and then they themselves become the strong, and it goes in cycles. This yearning for power through wealth and status and achievements and fame. I don't have time, and I would veer off into this, but this is basically the dialectal, dialectical materialism that Karl Marx provides in his philosophy. And Karl Marx viewed communism as a nirvana. Boy, that didn't work out very well. And he had these, there's agrarian societies, and then they develop, and then they become democratic, and then, then they become socialism, and then at some point communism. And the only way to get from some of these into what was nirvana or communism was by violent overthrow. He called the people that were powerful, he called them the bourgeoisie. And he called the people that were the workers, he called them the proletariat. And he created this kind of class warfare between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. That if, if the proletariat could overthrow the bourgeoisie, 
then that would recreate a balance of power and usher in this kind of this global sharing where everybody would share and everybody would get along and it would be kumbaya and it would be the nirvana, the place that is almost like heaven. Well, what happens is whenever the prolo proletariat overthrow the bourgeoisie, the proletariat become the bourgeoisie. And a lot of people die to get there. You can see this in Russia, millions and millions of people die. You see this in Cambodia and Laos under Pol Pot were individuals that had glasses. If they had glasses, they were cut down and killed because that represented education, so therefore you were part of the bourgeoisie. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Terrible. And so there is this cycle, this cycle, the strong rule the weak. The weak try to band together, and then they themselves become the strong, this yearning for power through wealth, status, achievements, and fame. If Jesus would have, stop and think about this. If Jesus would have come in that fashion and manner, he would have just been one in a long list of tyrants. He would have done what every tyrant that wants power would have done. And so what Jesus does, he comes in not with power, but he comes into what we could call anti-power, which is not power, it's the anti-power power. This is how Jesus is going to fix the problem from the inside out. Not from the outside. The outside, the outside in is to come in with power. That doesn't work out too well in history. Jesus comes in the reverse. He doesn't come in with power. He comes in with anti-power. This is one of the reasons why the cross doesn't appeal to our pride. First Corinthians chapter one and verse 22, Paul said the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. This, this, this doesn't attract our prideful notions, but Paul recognized it's the anti-power that's coming in a different way, and that anti-power is the real power. It is victory by what? Defeat. It is strength through weakness. It is life through death. His death was not by a criminal mob. It was by the very best. Jesus died a death of crucifixion, not by a criminal mob or by the weak. It was by the very best, the Pharisees using the Roman government to do their, their bidding. And Paul said it was an illusion that was unmasked, that the best of religion could save a person. The best of religion is not going to save anybody. But Jesus Christ can save you. The anti-power that comes from the inside out is much different than the power trying to force its way in. Jesus is not going to force himself on you. But if you make a God decision, it'll be the best decision that you have ever made in your entire life. He'll bring life to you. He'll bring peace to you. He'll bring strength to you. He'll bring encouragement and comfort to you. Paul said, if you want to talk about the best of the best, 
the best of the best crucified Jesus. And he said, I'm a witness of that because I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteous, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those things I counted loss for Christ. In other words, what Paul was saying would be something like this. This is not the work of the worst of humanity. This is the work of your best. You, human being, didn't execute the Savior because you were having a bad day or because you had a bad upbringing. You executed him when you were doing your best, most religious thinking. When you strip everything down to the basics, the fact is this is how you, as a person who prefers not God to God, really regard your maker. And when he came down from on high, leaving the purely spiritual realm and taking on humanity and in the process becoming for the first time vulnerable to you you tortured mangled and murdered him when he became one of the weak you did what the strong do you crucified him at your best not at your worst not at your worst at your best only took you 33 years and 30 pieces of silver and that's a lot compared to what many have been willing to sell him for. This is, this defies logic, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this is an audacious plan that from the human standpoint, the Greeks said is foolishness. And the Jews said, man, that's, that's a major stumbling block. But Paul said to us who are saved, it is the power of Jesus Christ. Anybody thankful for the old rugged cross? Now, it doesn't pertain to my pride, mm, but it relates to my soul and it connects to my spirit when I recognize that the King of glory paid such a great price. My last point here tonight is the remedy of the cross. Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection were God's way of dealing with human sinfulness and the curse of death. And in Jesus' death, it initiated the end of a reign of death. And it gave hope to all people for all time. I may die in this physical body, but I can look death right in the face and say, it's not final because there was one named Jesus Christ that conquered death, hell, and the grave. And there is hope in those words. Praise God. One more verse to read before we close up tonight. Musicians, come if you would. Uh, music is just fine. Give me, give me some, uh, just some background music. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. If you're there, say amen. Is that everybody or just a few of us? Let's try that again. Everybody catch up? Everybody there? All right, first Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all 
be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward, they that are Christ at his coming, then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Man, I know tonight in our discussion here, the picture of human nature is pretty grim. Human nature and confidence seems to wane and strengthen, and sometimes you can see it more than others in culture. Right now, you can see it in social media, self-perfection of getting real slick at making things look perfect even when they're not. Everything has to be just right. You Photoshop it. You put it all together. You present that to a world, and a lot of people follow you. When you take that image and that concept and you put the old rugged cross next to it, the old rugged cross doesn't look real fashionable to most folks. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of churches. We want everything to look just right. We want the perception to be just right. We don't want to talk about Calvary. Praise God, but I'm preaching to you here tonight that if we ever lose the old rugged cross, then we have lost the most significant thing. And the price that, the sticker shock on the price that was paid. Amen. If you don't have the cross, you can't understand God's amazing grace if you don't see how much of a wretch you and I are. The true gospel is not going to flatter. That's where the human mind, it would like to start with flattery. The cross is not something that is flattery. It's, it's the gospel that describes the death of death and the cross that undermines the work of sin. It's the end of confidence in human righteousness and religion. It strips all of that away and it allows me to see me for who I really, really am. And this is why the writer was so very, very good when he penned the words, he saved a wretch like me. If you don't see yourself as a wretch when compared to the price that Jesus Christ gave on the cross, you will never understand the value of the cross and the gospel. I want you to know in this place tonight that I recognize who I am. And when I see the price that was paid, hallelujah, it makes me so very, very thankful to know that God died for me. as we stand together in the house of God tonight. The Almighty surrendered himself to human power and he turned that power inside out. Amen. And he meets us where we are and he stops at nothing to save us. Amen. The first man, Adam, introduced death. Jesus through the cross reintroduced life to the world. Amen. The tomb is empty. We may die, but we die in Christ. Amen. And one of these days, we'll be able to say with Paul, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God 
which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that when death would silence you, that is indestructible, that is going to happen, that would close off, hallelujah, everything in your life, no matter how broken and how hopeless, the gospel says there is a hope and there is eternal life and it is afforded to you and it reaches out to you even if it has to stand at the end of the line. Amen. If there's anybody in this place tonight that's thankful of an old rugged cross that washes and cleanses us, I think it would be good and appropriate to lift our hands and say, Lord, I recognize how insignificant I am and I recognize how great you are. I lift my hands in worship to you and adoration to you and I thank you for a price that you paid, a great price so great a price and I give to you praise and thanks come on anybody thankful here tonight for a few moments in this place could we recognize how rich in his mercy